that bothers me less that people think I'm an angry, aggressive woman. It's more that we can't look past self-promotion as just being what it is, which in my eyes is storytelling. So many people claim they've got communities right now when actually they've just got audiences. I'm going to curse a lot during this podcast, which makes me really excited. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck being humble are here to change the stigmas around self-promotion. Stephanie joins me today to shine a light on the importance of communicating our abilities, strengths and achievements confidently and breaking the shame around owning our own. Being measured on your strength and ability to make an impact, not by your gender, race, economic background or age. So Stephanie, welcome to Freebird. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. We've taken our time out on an early morning on a Wednesday um, with coffee, tea in hand to record this podcast. And I'm so excited that Stephanie has carved this time out for us. Um, Stephanie, let's dive right in. Please tell us all about Fuck Being Humble and your journey from over two years ago to today. It's such a hard um, question when I get asked that. It's like, just tell us about your journey. And everyone always goes, oh, I didn't expect it would be that long a story because I have so much to say. Um, I'll try to, trying to get it down into a shorter pitch, really. But I'll try, I'll try and give the condensed version. So, um, But Being Humble was, was born out of a few reasons. I think, personally, it was born out of a bad review um I was expecting some sort of a bonus pay rise just sort of recognition of the work that I'd done and I didn't get it and I was absolutely devastated and I'd worked probably the hardest I'd ever worked in my career at that specific company and I felt a real lack of appreciation and I remember being on the phone to my sister for like weeks just being so angry and and her saying to me, the only thing you can do is control how you spend your time from now on. Mm. She was like, stop working overtime. Stop like, mm. you know, working on weekends and all those things that you do and going that like 200% when actually, if they're not necessarily going to reward you at the end, it's really worth you protecting your personal time so that you at least feel you've got that. So I really thank my sister for saying that. And also just generally being an amazing support and an icon of mine um, Mm. during my career. Um, I think secondly, I was working at a small business. uh, And when I say small, I mean a two-person company. There were two other founders and I was their first employee. I took on a job as account manager, um, senior account manager, producer and new business development. And I'd never done new business development, but being a chatty person, I was like, oh, this will be easy. I'll be a walk in the park. It's totally fine. Um, it wasn't. And to anybody who is going <laughs> freelance or having to generate new business or work, it uh, trust me when I say I get how hard it is. Yeah. Like, it is really hard. Uh, and that meant I went to a lot of networking events. And when I say a lot, I mean like three to four times a week. Uh, and what I was constantly faced with was panels of uh, I used to say it's white uh, pale male and stale um so very much (laughs) white over the age of 50 um men who had been running businesses of 100 people and were doing really well but also absolutely fitting into the mold of the stereotypical ad personal creative person And as like a 25-year-old woman, I just sat there and I was like, I don't see myself represented. I don't see any diversity here. I also know that there's really cool people in my like community or my network that I'd been building when I first moved to London of like going to exhibitions and pop-ups and seeing really cool young people either running side hustles or doing like 
amazing murals on the side of buildings or like just loads of really cool stuff Mm. that I was thinking like why aren't you being invited to speak on these piles what panels why are there such why is there such a disconnect um and I think we can always blame you know event organizers absolutely Mm. because a lot of the time they don't even consider the diverse range of people out there that could share their opinions and advise on things but I think one of the gaps I noticed and one of the problems I noticed was that there was this amazing talent, pool of talent that were doing great things, but didn't necessarily know how to get themselves into those rooms and those situations. And simultaneously, lots of my friends were also struggling with writing CVs and portfolios. And somehow I became this like career agony aunt because I was someone who um, moved jobs six times in seven years. Um, I also started my side hustle now, now term business. So I think, and as well, because I'd been working in advertising for seven years, I got pitching, I got storytelling, mm. I got how to sell ideas. Mm. Um, so all of that became part of me and my identity and what I was known for within my own friendship group. So sort of piecing it all together of like, okay, I want to invest in something that's purposeful and worth my time that I can feel is my own and not feel it can be taken away or I don't reap the rewards I also want to help the people that I'm seeing doing amazing things but aren't getting the opportunities um but also not that to me it was more than just creating a platform to spotlight people it it needed to be the educational side of things Mm. because that was the gap so yes I kind of run even more panel events like everyone else but what I recognized was like how do you even network to build that opportunity or how do you even write a bio that would put you in front of those places And we've literally never been taught how to do it. Like, particularly in the UK, we dread the thought of self-promotion. We think it's arrogant. We think it's self-indulgent. We think it's cooler to be self-deprecating, which I can't for the life of me understand. Um, And I kind of thought, right, whatever I offer needs to be more than let me get a group of people to talk about their careers. So the way that I always run my workshops and my events are I run an hour-long workshop which at the time was actually really long a 45-minute workshop and then it would usually be followed by a panel of really amazing people doing really cool things I kind of just started running the workshop by myself and trying out different topics speaking at different places giving talks to corporate businesses like Unilever Google um Warner Music lots Mm. of different brands and then the momentum was growing and and I actually got called to give to write a book within the first three months before I'd even done an event um I got interviewed by the times uh because they saw an article that I wrote on LinkedIn which honestly was not my best piece of writing but it ended up being the thing that springboarded for being humble you can read it on on my profile it's uh, called why I launched a side hustle called foot being humble to help people with kind of career development and naturally it stuck out on LinkedIn and and got loads of attention but yeah, I got offered this book deal before I'd even started running the workshops, before I even knew if, if what I was saying was going to land with people. And I just said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks, hung up. Um, and then three months or four months in, once I started seeing the impact I was having, I thought, OK, I've got so much imposter syndrome. I don't know how the hell I would write a book mm. because I'm not a writer, mm. but let's give it a go. Mm. Um, and we wrote the proposal. It was a four auction bid. Um, I had eight months to write it around a full-time job and that took me basically to December 
uh, December 2019 that's just gone. Um, and yeah, I delivered it in January and the book was meant to come out in May. Yeah. COVID hit, all got delayed until September. And that's sort of where I am now. It's worth noting I quit my job at the beginning of March to mm-hmm. run Foot Being Humble full time, which mm-hmm. was really exciting. Uh, and then had lined up like six months worth of business and basically lost it all within yeah. like two weeks of going yeah. solo because of COVID. So when I say I feel the pain of many people, like I really do. Yeah. Um, it's been an interesting ride. And we both have a similar situation where we've quit our jobs and we took our risks for new experiences, believing in ourselves. And then unfortunately this pandemic hit and, <laughs> and caused a shockwave. But when it was tough and I had to do two, three job applications a day from March while the unemployment rate was going higher and while, while jobs were going lower, I woke up every day and just took 10 minutes to count my positive attributes, to count the aspects of myself that I think are strong in a professional capacity. Um, and that developed my resilience and belief in myself a little bit stronger. But maybe do you have any tips on that or any insight? So I get called a bit of a tough love agony Anne, um, because <laughs> I kind of talk quite honestly and, and quite real in the sense that like, I just sort of remind people not to be a victim. Yeah. I think my sister said uh, to me recently about um, a way that she's coped with things when they've not gone her way is like thinking of all the ways it could be worse or thinking about how it could have been worse a hundred years ago, which I actually think is a funnier game. Yeah. It's like, well, 10 years ago, we didn't even have the internet yeah. to search on LinkedIn and add people and stuff like that. So I think first and foremost, like avoid falling into that victim trap because it can very easily happen when we're low. I think, as you said, positive like reflection on your achievements. If you're struggling and if you're in a low headspace, I'd really advise you to reach out to three or four of close friends, peers, previous bosses and let them do that work for you so just ask them what is it that you really like about me what is it about my energy that you like um when was a time where we've worked well together that you thought Mm. I did a really good job because I know from personal experience and from watching lots of people go through it that when you are in a bad headspace plucking up the courage to do that yourself can be really difficult so if you are able to self-reflect and list all the amazing things then amazing, half the job's done and I'm, yeah. I'm so happy that you're there. But if you're not, don't put that responsibility solely on you. The other thing is making sure you gather evidence regularly. So documenting small and big wins, whether that's having a difficult conversation with um, someone that you're working with, whether that is literally doing your tax, which I had to do recently and it was painful as hell, <laughs> whether it's securing a new opportunity, whatever it is, writing it down in your notes. Um, me and two of my friends who have like a freelance Huns chat, um, <laughs> we actually voice note one thing we're proud of a week um, yeah. to our chat on a Friday. And it sounds really cheesy and a little bit American, but the very fact that you have to verbalize it, not only just writing it down in notes, but actually verbalizing it and to other people, one, it holds you accountable, but two, it gets you into the mindset and more comfortable with actually speaking that. Mm. Because I think a lot of people do journaling and self-reflecting, but yet when it comes up to appraisals and performance reviews or interviews, you haven't practiced that verbal side of it. So that would be something that I really encourage. Yeah. 
Wow, incredible. I loved that. We actually do that at the start of every free bird meeting or at the end, depending on what we need to get through. And we will go, there's, oh God, how many of us now? I think there's eight of us now, Um, soon to be 10. And we go around and each of us say just one thing that was great about that week, or if it's been two weeks and the meeting's been pushed back. And every time I've done it, I can see all the girls going, oh, I hate when we yeah. do this. But by the end of it, we're all so happy to have heard each other's happiness and, and positivity. Um. But yeah, I've just been nodding so hard to everything Stephanie had. I was saying I thought my head was going to fall off because that was <laughs> I was hanging on every single word. Recently, I um have been just absolutely all over your social media. But I loved your if you were featured in the press, what would you want the headline to read? Um, it was a question that Stephanie posted on an Instagram post, and I have a personal background with this. I've always said one of my career aspirations was to have an art- article featured about me or about my work, which before coming across Fuck Being Humble, I would have thought was so um, vain, whereas now I'm actually like, I own it. I- I've worked really hard in my career, and I've always wanted to make a, make a positive difference in my industry since day one of entering. When Freebird was featured in Stylist for the first time, I remember having this moment weeks after it. It was like it dawned on me (laughs) in post-reflection that actually the aspiration was now realised. And it was very emotional and I gained recognition from an incredible brand. But beyond that, it was an internalised moment of achievement. Steph, can we discuss your journey with press headlines, focusing on your work, including boasting and bragging terminology? Why do you think this happens? Is this phrasing partnered with the stereotypical women in leadership positions terminology, which could frequently be bossy, bitchy, emotional? And by the way, the biggest congratulation on that stylist feature. (laughs) Well, it's interesting you say that. So two years ago, when I was featured in The Times, uh, I I, I had an interview and note to self, I'd had no media training. I also drank a couple of wines, which was... (laughs) Highly, highly irresponsible, but I was very comfortable. I I think, to be honest, I'm very much the same person with everyone, and I'm proud of that. Mm. And I don't want to change, and I I don't intend on changing that way. Um, But I thought we had a great chat, really enjoyed it. And I think one of the things I'd say is whenever you speak to press, or before you even agree to doing an interview, if you get to that stage, Ask them what the angle of the story is, because I didn't. Mm. And I wasn't fully prepared for the fact that the title was going to read Be Boastful and Brag Like a Millennial. And then it opened with, uh, during that session, that journalist had asked me, Marissa Bates, a brilliant writer, highly like advise you all to check her out. She asked me to review her social media channels, which I also thought was a bit of a trap, but, you know, I went for it mm. and I had to prove that what I was saying was right. And I basically just said, look, I've met you right now. I think you're great. But when I look at your online portfolio, your, you know, your profile, you, you've got no personality. Um, and she opened the article with, you've got no personality, says Stephanie Sword Williams. And my heart just Whoa. absolutely sunk. Um, and I think that was one of the biggest learnings. And to be fair, look, she went through and likened me to Cheryl, Cheryl Sanderberg and was really complimentary by the end of it. But what I learned very quickly was that most journalists want to write a story. Mm. They want to take the viewers on a narrative of, is she a villain? Isn't she a villain? Is it a good mm. thing? Isn't it a good thing? 
And with a name like Foot Being Humble, I knew what I was doing when I got myself into it. I didn't expect some of the trolls that I've got and I didn't expect Mm. some of the feedback, particularly from white men over the age of 50 in Texas that feel the need to get in touch (laughs) and tell me, I I think I get what you're doing, but I just absolutely think you've picked the worst name in the world. Oh, my God. Thanks for that feedback, Chad. Yeah. um, (laughs) But I do find it really upsetting because, you know, I've had a lot of press around the book recently and it is constantly this boasting, bragging, a bragger's guide to this. and, And I don't necessarily think it's just connected to women in my case, as mm. in, if a male started a platform called Foot Being Humble, I imagine mm. he would also get words like bragging and boasting. Mm. I think the issue is that we have to connect self-promotion with bragging and boasting. Yeah. That's my concern. I, I care. I find it really infuriating that women are treated differently, and they absolutely are. It's been yeah. proven you know, during studies and stuff. But that bothers me less that people think I'm an angry, aggressive woman. It's more that we can't look past self-promotion as just being what it is, which in my eyes is storytelling. Mm. It's that any journalist that writes about it or anybody that feels the need to comment on it, those words always have to come up. And it just, yeah, that annoys me more because those words are the things that people don't want to be synonymous with and that is what stops people from doing it if everybody turned around and said actually self-promotion is so cool it's a form of self-care it's how you claim your worth it's how all the most successful celebrities inventors in the world have ever achieved anything they've ever wanted why would you ever feel guilty about it like don't be stupid yeah everyone would do it it's the there's a narrative around it that people don't feel that and that is essentially what I set out to do that's the mission that's my movement that's Mm. what I'm trying to help people all around the world get rid of that Mm. fear so I call it the FOSS the fear of sounding stupid um and what I tell people is they should be more concerned about FOB which doesn't sound as good but that's the fear of being generic because great you are so concerned about how stupid you look or whether you look boastful or arrogant or like you're bragging. When you don't do anything, you basically just follow the crowd and you just become generic. And that to me is a worse place to be in. I would much rather be remembered for uh, sharing the things that I achieved than sitting in resentment or envy in the background, wishing I hadn't wasted my career. Yeah. Moving on to recruitment, and I think this is really interesting. I've always been um, a big fan of entering an interview room and having the mindset that even though I want this job, I still want to learn more about you as an employer and you as a company. So I'm stating the obvious here, but we do have a lot of people out there in difficult employment situations at the moment. I would like us to talk about the balance of being desperate for employment, but still understanding your worth as you wade through 2020's employment unsteadiness. Steph has said previously, we shouldn't be honoured if they consider us. They should be honoured that we considered them. I've always held this view in the interview room. I want the employer to sell the role to me and to promote the company rather than the focus being on me selling my soul, my abilities and my experience. Steph, do you have any thoughts on how we continue a strong demeanour on avoiding the humble grovel as we may feel emotional or financial strains or even the desperation for work? How do we maintain the control and ensure they don't hold the power over us? 
It's so funny that you mentioned that because I can't tell you how often I get pulled up on that comment. I honestly wish I'd never said it, but (laughs) I basically said in that original interview that I mentioned with Marissa Bates that, and the context was, we go into rooms and feel vulnerable because we let ourselves be vulnerable in that Mm. way. So when I encourage people to, you know, play interviewer, on you know the people that are actually interviewing you that is to help you put your mind at ease that is to make you feel like you are not out of control because very often it's those feelings of lack of control that makes you go oh god I can't do this why am I doing this Mm. so um one of the things that I got really slammed by by a the financial times actually um a horrible woman uh, (laughs) um called me up and said we're featuring you in the times but we're going to disagree with everything you say we're not interviewing you we're not asking for a comment we just need to do some fact checks about my age and and my name and she basically scrutinized me for saying that I believe that I've done this successfully and it has worked that when you go into interviews your body language is really important. Mm. And sadly, obviously, we're doing a lot of it virtually. But one of the things that I said that if you do meet in person, rather than sitting opposite, like Alan Sugar, Mm. you know, boardroom style, try and sit to the side of them if you can, or to make a break in that Mm. stereotypical, you're, you're in the spotlight, you know, like the voice chairs, everybody watching you. Where possible, try and create an atmosphere with you know open body language that's making your hands and your arms I'm doing this right now because it's how to speak but like being very open being very welcoming changing points in your tone um and knowing I think one of the things to sort of answer your question is like knowing that there will be other opportunities if this doesn't happen I think with lots of things in life we'd invest in one moment thinking this is going to change our lives and it doesn't like whether it is being featured in press or whether it is winning a dnad pencil or whatever it is those moments in isolation aren't going to change your career i've written my book nothing has actually come off the back of it since it being out like nothing has happened we have to like remember that the things that we get noticed for and the opportunities that we get is from like a relentlessness of trying and putting ourselves out there mm-hmm. and it's a bit like like therapy when people think oh I'm gonna go to therapy and I'll just be fixed it's not how that works like it's about continually investing in your reputation in your profile and in those moments within interviews where you feel like you could have a meltdown or mm-hmm. that the desperation might sink in too much I would just really encourage you as we've talked about first of all to remember that they're not the only ones in control. You get to say yes or no at the end of the day, whether you want that, whether the benefits are good enough for you. It's something I ask so many people to think about. Are you getting enough like flexi time or mm. are the holidays good enough? And all Because once you're in there, it's really hard to negotiate those things. So please Absolutely. don't feel like it's the only option. And if I don't say yes to this, I'll never get it again. I actually did a post last week about the importance of saying no and I wasn't just specifically talking about interviews I was just talking about opportunities in general and making sure that you are really assessing what the gain is for you Mm. because that is when we get ourselves into work situations and um 
either freelance work or working with clients that actually don't respect us or we don't enjoy it and and then we get ourselves into a deeper spiral Mm. and it's really it's really important to protect your like integrity and your worth and I know it's much easier said than done right now because it is such a tricky time I think that is definitely where I would encourage some people if you need to get a job right now because you genuinely just need to put some food on the table and stuff take that job and get that job and and take it knowing that you will get another one in the future and this is not the only answer and if you need to you start a side hustle or you Mm. start freelancing on the side whatever it is Mm. so that you don't feel like you've just caved and you've just gone down the route that you had to go down you know put a plan in place that you say okay I'll stick this out for a year but then I want to be doing this and this and this Mm. because I meet and speak to so many people that are like, ah, it was only meant to be a stepping stone job, but that ends up sucking the life out of them and they end up being miserable and losing all confidence within that space. So just remember that like the environment that you go into next is actually really important for your own mental health. Coming out of a pandemic, going through a recession, like making sure that you feel valued and appreciated is equally as important um but I don't want to sound oblivious that I know how difficult it is right now and it, and it isn't as much of a luxury to choose where you do and don't want to work I, I think my encouragement is more just mentally don't let yourself be a prisoner to them would be my advice yeah yeah Wow, that's amazing. I totally get what you mean, though, about those people who it's a short term solution and then they find they're, I mean, I use the word stuck for a lack of a better term, but they are. They get stuck in this world that impacts every part of their life and their mental health and their physical health. But it is important now if people can make the best decisions that they can with their careers and, and, and with their lives, obviously understanding the current situation. But I think that was really great advice. Over to the book. So fuck being afraid, fuck being embarrassed, fuck being a specialist. I'm really enjoying this. Fuck being hesitant, fuck being pigeonholed, fuck being humble, the book. I find it fascinating, Stephanie, that you still find you have that voice of imposter syndrome towards your published book, written and published in eight months. You touched on this earlier while you worked a full-time job. It's our guide to breaking the preconditioned stigma that being humble is our basic way to earn respect. I'm not taking up any more airtime on this. I want you to tell us all about your pride and joy and you can brag the fuck away. <laughs> <laughs> I actually said the, the other day, I, apart from my brand name, I rarely swear. Like I actually don't, <laughs> that, that, those but being pigeonholed, those examples you just gave, that was from a poster from yeah. an artwork where somebody asked me to give them four fucks or five fucks that I would say, but, <laughs> Generally, I think the brand name does enough swearing and and actually from a content perspective. um, For me, I just basically wanted to take all of the content that I've written at my events and all of the learnings I'd had from moving jobs and working in startups and working in independent businesses, huge businesses, working as a client manager, working as a producer, working in new business development, now working as a freelancer Mm. and business owner, like, It was all my experience that I wanted to share. So in terms of what we cover, I'll just run through some of the chapter headings. So first of all, that self-promotion is not a dirty word. It's the defining factor of your success. Um, Knowing what you stand for, working out what you want and how to craft your profile towards it. 
how not to be in hiding and make sure you're present in all the right places, the power of networking online and offline and why it's not optional, um, knowing your self-worth, how to recognize it and demonstrate what you bring to the table, getting the money you want and what you deserve. Uh, there is one chapter called Calm the Fuck Down, which <laughs> was actually my longest chapter and clearly me just letting go of seven years of work stress but that was basically how you use emotional intelligence to promote Mm. yourself and to handle people like I call them passive aggressive uh Annie uh, passive aggressive Pam and um (laughs) Debbie Downers and all the things that we know we've worked with and and really struggle with um I talk a big chapter not big chapter I talk a lot about failures making you funny um, anyone that knows me knows I consistently take the piss out of myself and that's how I build relationships with people and I try not to let the things that I've done wrong be the defining quality of, of mm. me um, and then the final chapter is just not to let labels limit you and, and I think on that note the reason I, I harp on about that so much is because I used to go into meetings or into networking situations say I was a business director and Nobody was excited by that. But I knew in the background I was writing a book and Mm. running community events and running talks at Cannes Lions Festival and global businesses and spreading a global movement. But none of that came across when I said I was a business director, even when I say I'm a founder. And I think it's really easy for us to be defined by the labels and the titles we were either given when we were younger, so introvert and extrovert, uh, either the jobs that we've chosen or the stereotypical representation of what that title might mean to other people. And I think I've probably fell a victim of that. Um, I've actually been doing a lot of self-reflection over the past six months personally. And and I think I suffered, not necessarily suffered, but I feel like I was affected when I was younger being told that I was the creative one and Mm. uh, more of the black sheep as opposed to um the one that would academically achieve um Mm. and I'm actually really proud that I've made a really sustainable business I've written a book and I was speaking to someone about it recently and I was like I still don't feel that academic and they were like you've just written a book Mm. and she was like it doesn't get that more academic and I think it's that thing of I've always been, I would always feel more comfortable with saying I'm a storyteller, I'm a public speaker, I'm a founder, but saying that I'm an author, I still feel that imposter, even though it's out Mm. there and and I know that's not what I should be saying because that's not what I stand for, but I also always really want to be transparent transparent with people and let Mm. them know that I I get it. Um, I think for me, I'm very much... I need to see the results and the impact before I can necessarily be like 100%, wow, I'm going to go for it. Um, I am a top blagger. And I one of my other sayings is blag now, worry later. Because <laughs> most of the time you don't have to worry later because whatever you, you need to do, you can do. Yeah. You just have to let go of that, that foss telling yeah. you you can't. Um, but actually, I think with writing, I had to really just let go of that and I had to actually get the book proposal through the door I had to write a proposal on why I deserve to write it and then I had to write two sample chapters so the people that were bidding on it had read what I liked and did did like it and didn't have ambitions to change it and Quadril who we went with were amazing in the sense that they they didn't change anything I wrote they were only ever like add more here elevate this point here and, and it was actually just a really beautiful writing process of like just letting me freely write and just get everything off my chest and I 
absolutely went a bit like, oh my God, I need to be the best at this. When in reality, I don't, and I'm never going to be the best because it isn't necessarily my niche. Mm. I'm just really proud that I've done it. And I can say that I've done it. Mm. And I have a legacy in print that um, communicates a really important message to people. Um, I think when it came to actually writing it, I, and this is important for anybody that's doing a, running a side hustle around a full-time job, the most important thing I um, identified was when my best performance was during the week. So we think that we can do 12-hour days, come home and run a side hustle. Yeah. Absolutely not. Like in the evenings during the week, I'd be watching Love Island whilst following people on Instagram. Yeah. In sending very non-attention-needing emails or just very minimal stuff in my evenings. But then on a Saturday morning, I was like, right, I'm ready to write. I'm going to do this. I'd yeah. go sit in the Hoxton in Shoreditch and write away. And I basically did that every Saturday for like eight months. And sometimes I had writer's block. Sometimes I was like, why am I doing this? Mm. There's a lot of things that I put in the book that I, I, once I actually got a physical copy of the book, which was around August, I, I couldn't read the book back. And I still can't because I cringe at the thought of some of the things I put in there. I've had so much amazing feedback and it's been really, really positive. The book's actually gone into reprint, which is really exciting. Um, But it still feels surreal and it still hasn't sunk in. And I think think it doesn't help that we've gone for a global pandemic. I was going to say, yeah. All of the touring essentially has to be virtual. It meant I ran like 24 webinars in two weeks and it was disgustingly busy. Um, But... It's. I think it really sunk in when I had like book launch celebration drinks. I couldn't have a big party. It was a smaller <laughs> soiree, um, but it was, I needed that. And I think it's really important. And I really want to make this point to people that even though we're going through a pandemic and a crisis, mm. it is one, really important that you still celebrate the mm. achievements that you're doing. And I don't just mean going, oh, I did this today. I mean, going out for dinner or getting a takeaway or getting a bottle of Prosecco or something Mm. that you just sit down with friends or partners or whoever it is and just enjoy that moment because I am definitely bad at achieving something really huge and big and just moving on to the next and saying what next and it's just not good for your mental health and actually that book launch drinks that I had was I cried when giving my speech um numerous times and <laughs> I needed to feel that and I needed to celebrate and I needed to hear people go this is fucking amazing you, yeah you've worked so hard and you deserve this because yeah. when you work in isolation by yourself it is so hard to continue to remind yourself that so for anyone listening I really do want to encourage you to to not overlook the importance of a celebration when you achieve, no matter how big or small it is. And something I've started doing when I interview people is asking them, how do you celebrate an achievement? Mm. And and if they say, oh, I don't really know, I say, well, go figure out how you're going to go do it because it's really important to make it a habit and not just a, oh, we'll celebrate next month because yeah. you don't and, and you deserve to. Yeah, that's so right. 
And you can find out more tips from Stephanie by this next exciting project. So the Fuck Being Humble Side Hustle School. At the point of recording this podcast, Stephanie is giving us some exclusive information on her new project, starting from the 19th of October 2020. The side hustle movement has always been there, but 2020 has truly heightened the goal getters, makers, starters and doers. Freebird is a side hustle, although it's our one true love, and we push everyone to explore their creative and business freedom start that hustle the side hustle school is a program to learn everything you need to grow develop and launch a passion project and it sounds absolutely brilliant stephanie from the 19th of october to the 13th of november the side hustle school is a four-week course to help people launch their own passion projects and side hustles it's 50 pound a ticket and that includes four workshops from stephanie on how to grow your idea Thank you. That was like a perfect tea up. I barely need to add something. Um, so how that how that works is for anyone that's not been to my workshops before, I basically, well, first of all, a side hustle has absolutely changed my life. Mm. And whether it, it ends up creating an immediate success, a long-term success, whether it ends up being the thing that helps you recognize that you could actually run your own business one day, whatever it is, right now, I actually wrote a post about why now is a perfect time to start a side hustle, you can read the article on my LinkedIn profile. Mm -hmm. One of them, and one of the biggest things I think for right now is regaining control. At a time where job employability is at its all-time high in terms of like the competition and feeling like I don't have control over the situation, creating a side hustle or working on a passion project is something that one, could make you some money and two, um, could just allow you to be imaginative again and have that creative freedom. Absolutely. So that's my, my tee up as to why you should do it. In terms of what's included, so I run a one, one and a half hour weekly workshop where I will take you through the different stages of launching a side hustle or a passion project. So first week is like, why you, why, why the idea? Why do you think it's going to work? Then the second mm. week is like, how do you actually build that out into a product service offering? What's the competition doing? How is everyone else working on ideas that are similar? Mm. The third week's how you market it. How do you cut through me giving loads of tips on how I've done it? And then the fourth week is how you PR it and actually create like a launch planning and get people to notice it. I always recognize that my voice is not going to be the only voice that you should learn from. So as well as my workshops, you'll also have an additional one hour a week from um four brands that I've got on board. So Pinterest, Eventbrite, The Dots and mm, LinkedIn brilliant. will also be running a talk. So I'll be it'll be either a live Q&A or they'll be doing more of a tutorial on how best to use their platforms to maximize your ideas, which even like Pinterest, I was speaking to them like I literally think about Pinterest as finding like food, Halloween outfits, yeah. um, home decor, or some inspirational, motivational quotes. Yeah. But they were telling me about loads of functions, about how you could raise your profile, all those things. And I think all of them, we've probably all just scratched at the surface a bit and been yeah. like, oh, here's how I can just put myself on there. But I really want them to dig deep and show you everything. Yeah. On top of that, I also set weekly tasks for you to complete in your own time. Uh, which would be just like a Google Doc with activities so that you actually have something to hold you accountable to go away and, mm. and action your ideas. Um, everything is recorded, as you mentioned. So if you have got a full-time job, you've got personal commitments, kids, family, you can watch it all in your spare time. Great. It's recorded UK time because that's where I live, mm -hmm. um, but it is open to anybody in the world. So 
Um, yeah, I'm really excited. I ran a similar course for graduates during August because I really wanted to support them during a time when nobody was. And I had over 100 people join. They wow. started their own ideas. They said it's been amazing to help them launch their ideas. But for some people, just like apply for jobs and, you know, get money and, and rebuild their confidence and think about things differently. So if yeah. I can just help you even with your current situation um, and you don't need to have an idea um originally I encouraged people to when I ran the course last time but I think if nothing else it's just like a fun course for training for you and yeah. it's personal development and if you're a freelancer you can obviously claim it back on tax as, yeah. as growth <laughs> great our first starting month the Freebird, was um the theme of starting and I have to say in terms of the passion project it really was when you said about the joy you get from side hustles that was one of the best months of my life was meeting all these either creative women and girls who did not think they could ever start a business and work out tax and call themselves a CEO because they were a painter and they just never thought. And now, and then when I sat with them and the question was always, do you realize the weight behind what you're doing and, and the change that you've implemented in your life by starting this thing? And it really was honestly the most joyous experience was creating that content and hearing everyone's stories and how passionate they were about the starting process um I mean running it is a whole other thing you know that's the part where you're working 12 hours a day and you, you feel bad for not working in the evening or networking or attending that event virtually and you've got to wait till the weekends but it really was incredible and I can't imagine what you're going to get out of that Stephanie that that level of connection with people and, and hearing their stories. In the book, actually, which I forgot to mention, I've interviewed eight incredible women that I think are changing the creative industry and have done some amazing things. I interviewed them about how they define their best qualities, when was the time they overcame imposter syndrome, mm. how do you know what you're doing is the right thing. And Nicole Krenzel um, is an amazing uh, founder. She founded Black Girl Festival. And when we spoke, she speaks really openly that when she realised that public speaking was what she loved doing, um, she decided, she even though she'd studied product design and all those other things, she was like, I'm going to build my career and my lifestyle around that. So she's created the first ever Black Girl Festival and she has been a host for Stormzy's Murky Books and oh. she's done all of these things. And she's absolutely, I admire her so much. She's done so many amazing things by literally just drilling down and going okay so yes I've trained up in all these things but I do have other interests elsewhere and it doesn't yeah. mean that that has to be your full-time grind but it doesn't mean that just because you have expertise in one space you might need to pursue that job and keep it going because you need income but don't let your other passions and your other hobbies and interests just mm. like melt away because you don't think you could ever be the best mm. in it because no one's saying you have to be the best in it you could just really enjoy doing it so yeah I would I would really love um for as many people to join and please do spread the word if absolutely. it's not you share it with other people because absolutely I'll do everything I can to help people feel as empowered as possible to go try and make it work yeah Speaking of empowerment, community and women in business, I love to spotlight on women who are leaders, innovators and game changers. Hence Stephanie here today. We are taking space, we are using our voices and we're proud of who we are and where we are at. I strongly believe that we encourage others to do the same by supporting one another and having these conversations. Hence the creation of Freebird. 
When we talk about community, feminism and business, they all link for me. They are automatically connected, whether through empowerment, feeling equal or recognising opportunities. What do these three themes mean to you, Stephanie? And do you recognise your strength as a figure to inspire other women and girls? I think community for me is about not being afraid to ask. Um, I was actually talking to um, a few of my friends about this. We were talking about, should you ask on LinkedIn for business? Can I put a post out there and say, oh, I'm really looking for work. Is is it okay? Do I look okay saying mm. that? And I was like, absolutely. Why wouldn't you? And I think I might write an article on it because I think people are just so worried about looking weak or vulnerable that yeah. they don't do it. And I think for me community is about being able to openly ask and engage and support each other without any criticism yeah. or without any fear of of how that may be there's actually I listened to quite a few webinars during lockdown and um Danielle Pender from Reposte magazine talked about the fact that so many people claim they've got communities right now when actually they've just got audiences and there's a difference. And in order to have a community, you actually have to really care about what that audience is interested in and genuinely have a two-way conversation and genuinely be helping them. An audience is actually just somebody that interacts with your stuff. It, Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's your community. So I think with that aspect, it's about making sure that you create spaces and moments where people feel happy enough and, and open enough to ask for support. And that's what I feel Foot Being Humble has always been great at mm. doing, particularly at our in-person events, which is so sad that we can't do them right now. Mm. But um, I always encourage people at the end of my talks to stand up and share a project that they're working on. And it ends up being like a bit of an open mic thing. And it's honestly probably one of the most amazingly emotional things for me to watch because you see people shaking with microphones, doing these unprompted, unpolished pitches, just getting up and seizing the moment. And I do believe that's because I've given them a one hour workshop to tee them up and get them excited. If I'd have told everyone at the start of the event, you're going to stand up in front of 150 people and you're going to tell them about something you're working on and ask for help. They'd have gone, no way. Uh, (laughs) And actually, I think that's what I always have aimed to do is just create this relatability with a community that people feel they can be vulnerable and Mm. they can be um scene I think feminism is a topic really interesting topic to me I would actually really like to be more active as Mm. a feminist I think I am obviously I've built Mm. a whole business in helping women overcome the fear of imposter syndrome I read Florence Given's book recently um women don't owe you pretty and I absolutely loved it and she talked about the fact that you need to knit bitching in the bud it's like an activity that you do when you're bored. And I wish I'd have read it. Like, I think it's essential reading for any women. Um, Absolutely. And it's, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I think why always question and ask yourself, why are you about to tear down another woman? What does that, what do you gain from it? What, mm. particularly with a career success, when you know how hard it is already for women to succeed. So what is the thing really that you're bothered about mm. and maybe address those spend energy addressing those issues than than not so for me I think feminism is twofold one that I want to get my teeth stuck into it more and help change more global issues that are massively going on around the world mm. but two from a career perspective I think it's just like not tearing down women to satisfy yourself and then business uh wow business means a lot to me um mm. 
It means so many words. I, I One thing I, I think would be good to touch upon is about, I am actually, I've got about four more versions of being humble in my back pocket and of side hustles that I want to run in mm. my career, if not more. And I was talking about them and, and I was talking about like, at what point do I step away and move on and do those things? I've got loads of ideas bubbling in my head and particularly having seen how well the model works I know I can apply it and and, and duplicate it and make, mm. make it work again. And when I talked to my friend about it recently, she said, oh, my God, do you like such an entrepreneur? And I was like, oh, my God, no, I'm not. Yes, sure. I love this. I love this conversation so I much. literally was like, no, that's ridiculous. I was like, no, I'm not. It, it fell into the you're an author camp for me. Yeah, and I yeah. actually am an author. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I just, I kind of like really struggled to accept that that comment and then I came in I was like am I an entrepreneur I was like that's really cool that sounds yeah. really cool and I think it's because like women are really bad at recognizing that absolutely I don't want to be a feminine or like I don't want to be a boss bitch I don't want to be a girl babe no, I don't no, no. do all of that I just actually want to be like a businesswoman that does come up with really cool ideas yeah. and pivots and looks at global problems and goes how can I support it like that is something that I think women in business has a has a stereotype. It has mm. an expectation. It has a type that we should be adhering to, and I don't agree with it. Mm. And I am actually really excited to ruffle some more mm. feathers and launch some more business plans. And and actually, I never had a business plan. I think that but business to me is not how business is described so business to me is come up with a cool idea and go make it happen like that's it simplest form you don't need a fucking business plan to start an idea no I've I've never gone for investment so that's a different discussion altogether yeah but being humble has been self-funded out of my pocket it's a sustainable profitable business and I've never had to sit down with an accountant and go here's here's my finances how's it looking yeah I made the under 30 list this year for Europe and I shared my projections. I shared the ambitions of the business. I shared what I'd earned today. And and I am a businesswoman. And I just don't yeah. think, even as little as um, for ages, I call Foot Being Humble just a platform, mm. um, which it was. And I actually prefer platform because I think it sounds softer and nicer. Yeah. But then I was like, at what point do I call it a business? It is a business. And yeah. I, I was catching myself not doing it. So I... I Business for me means so many things, but I think what I would like pe- other people to think of it as is one, not to be as intimidating as you think it is. Mm. I think business is like, come up with an idea, mm. make it happen, make money, and it's a business. Mm. And don't worry about all the other fluff that people talk about. I get I get so excited thinking of how many other women and girls come across this, see what you're doing as a founder and as a business manager and as a woman in business, that they can do it too. And that's what I love about having the core team of nearly 10 at Freebird is that everyone sees those 10 people as writers, contributors, um, creatives and, and, and girls in business, women in business. And that's what I think is inspiring that you might not know the amount of people that just see you and they might not ever even engage with you, but they felt inspired by what you do. It's really important that we spend the time actually giving that feedback to people when they do yeah. affect your lives in that way. And it isn't cheesy and it isn't kiss arsey. It means so much to the people behind the businesses. Yeah. Um, 
I think it is really important. And, and actually, on the point of seeing that impact and, and embracing that impact, it's actually usually my tip I give to people on imposter syndrome. So people, I, I, if I had a pound for every time I got asked how to handle imposter syndrome, I'd be a bloody millionaire and I wouldn't mm. even be doing this anymore. But um, one of the things that I encourage people to do is not focus on the task in hand, but focus on the impact you can have to somebody mm. else's life by doing it. So if it's writing an article on mental health, for example, um, rather than you being like, oh, what if everyone thinks my writing's shit? What if I sound too vulnerable, blah, blah, blah? Why not think about the person who could be suicidal, who mm. reads this and changes their perspective? Mm. Take that responsibility and fear of it only being about you and actually channel that into the positive outcomes that can come. And when you focus on that, so I also interviewed Nafisa Bakar, Mm. founder of amalia.com brilliant platform uh, showcasing and shining light on real muslim mm. female voices much needed in our media industry and she talks about the fact that when she wants something a lot and she feels imposter syndrome she creates like the thing that will help it so she'll either do like an acceptance speech an award to for writing the best article mm. ever or she'll do a um, mock-up what a magazine headline might read and an article and what that might say. Brilliant. Um, and she like, completely differs to you and what that moment or what that moment of recognition might be that you're really excited about. But by projecting that and seeing that, it's, you know, vision boards, a lot like manifesting, a lot of people do that. That is what gets you excited when you mm. see it being a potential. And then when you combine that, that personal feeling and emotional feeling with the impact it could have, then you almost get locked into this, well, fuck, I've got to do it now. Exactly. <laughs> I really hope that Being Humble goes on to inspire people for years to come mm. and in many different ways, whether it is just like, you know, being like, no, I'm not going to let my boyfriend treat me like shit mm. or bosses treat me like mm. shit or I'm going to ask my money or I'm not going to be talked down to by people, or I am going to put myself forward to go on Dragon's Den or whatever the reality shows are about business <laughs> these days. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would love that to be the impact. And I'm always so humbled when people do get in touch and tell me how it's affected them. But I usually end up getting teary because I am very soppy. If you are struggling with mm. any aspects of self-promotion or, or self-doubt mm. then please do yeah. follow being humble at ldn on instagram and twitter grab a copy of the book come to my workshops join yeah. the courses um, but most importantly just don't let labels limit you because there's so much more you can do if you kind of let yourself do it and i really want to help you do that and achieve mm. that so good luck to everyone listening you can find all of Fuck Being Humble's tags, socials, LinkedIn's accounts in the description of this podcast. So go check them out. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really amazing to hear and honestly, my neck is hurting because I've nodded so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so nice to have such an honest and open conversation.